Welcome to episode 50 of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mercatani. I'm Andy Hamilton of Track Wrestling, joined on the phone from St. Louis by David Mercatani. I'm back in the United States for the first time in uh, 25 days, after 25 days over in France and Greece for the World Championships and Cadet World Championships. Back in Cedar Falls. David, how's everything down in St. Louis? Everything's good. Welcome back to the States. Thank you. Good to be back. Oh, a lot of fun being over there. Saw yeah. a lot of great wrestling, but it's it's good to be home. Yeah, I'm sure your pups and a lot of other people missed you, so it's, it's, I'm sure it's nice to just do laundry and sleep in your own bed and all those sort of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we have a ton of wrestling <laughs> to catch up on. That's right. Uh, lots of good stuff from the Cadet World Championships. Five golds from the United States. Colton Schultz in Greco. Four in men's freestyle. Will Luan, Kurt McHenry, Aaron Brooks, and Daniel Kirkbleet. David, what impressed you about what you saw from the Cadet World Championships? I, I guess just the continued depth. You know, um, I had a chance, and we're got, this episode will come out like in nine or 10 days to talk to a bunch of the guys from USA wrestling at the top and just how deep the, you know, the cupboard is that the cadets will move to juniors and then juniors will move to seniors and the seniors were so good, but it doesn't look like America's falling off anytime soon. And I also think Brooks is a really interesting story. You know, he went from alternate to winning it. Doesn't come out of a traditionally super powerhouse area. He's going to go spend a year at the OTC which, again, as you talked about, Doc Bennett, the whole Henry Cejudo story, everything behind that, uh, you know, following that path, it, it reminded me a lot of the conversation you and I had a couple of weeks ago. Um, but just, you know, you, you said this a long time ago that you look for storylines, and that seems like a, a pretty cool and pretty obvious storyline to me. Yeah, and just the way he won, too. I mean, he was up... Uh in his first match against Georgia on the mat right in front of me and um, like comes out circling, shooting, snapping. Uh, I've never seen a guy that, you know, at that level that is that athletic and that skilled wrestle with that kind of pace. Like the pace was unbelievable to me and and you could just see it like about a minute into the match like the look on this georgian's face was like i don't like wrestling this guy at all right and you know he, he beat him 12-2 in like a minute and 40 seconds and completely broke him in a minute and a half and like the only points that georgian scored were on like a shin wizard that that uh <laughs> that brooks hit the, the officials just don't see it enough in international wrestling to really, you know, some don't know how to score it. And it was totally Brooks's hold. He hit another one of those uh, uh, later in the tournament, uh, I think against the Iranian, and they scored it right. They scored it just two for Brooks in, in that point. But, uh, man, that guy put on a show. I, uh, you know, and I, like, it was the first, uh, you know, the first we'd, I, I'd really seen of um, – yeah, you know, I'd seen a little bit of Aaron Brooks in the past, but but not uh, this kind of Aaron Brooks. I mean, and we, and we talked to you know, I talked to him afterward about like like where did that pace come from? I mean, and he told me how 
uh, he just started wrestling like that here in the last couple months where, where he felt like he needed to open it up. Like, you know, Kevin Jackson talked to him out at the Olympic training center at the training camp and, and just felt like, you know, different people talking to him and, and, and then talking to Kevin, he said that he felt like, you know, having Aaron around like Jordan Burroughs and Kyle Snyder really opened that up as well, opened his eyes to yeah. how hard that those guys go. And, and so, you know, we saw a guy take it to another level at that tournament and closest match was 13, seven in the finals against the Russian. And, and that one never, you know, never seemed like he was really in any danger in that one. Right. And, and just, just to see a guy go that hard and, you know, break that many people in four minute matches to me was, was incredible. It is. And like, um, I was up at a high school here, CBC and, Jeff Saunders had been out at the Olympic Training Center, and he was talking to me about you know one on one with Jordan Burroughs and Savion Severado. He's there too, and you know we're old. At least I don't want to you're old. I'm old, and you kind of think I'm old too. Okay, so um, you don't think about jumping levels like really quickly, like but those guys are so impressionable and they're so eager to learn, and they can they can process things and implement them right away. And, you know, like they were working on short offense the other night and right away they're like, well, hey, Jordan Burroughs showed me this. Just a guy like Burroughs and Snyder watching those guys and a guy like Kevin Jackson being in your ear, it makes sense that an Aaron Brooks could get that much better, that much faster. And it goes back to the structure of USA Wrestling and giving these guys these opportunities to be around these world, you know, the young world-class guys to be around the older world-class guys to, to jump levels. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, one of the questions I asked Aaron Brooks afterward, I said, like, would, could you have won this tournament two months ago? And he said, absolutely not. It's a great question, you know, Andy. That, so that's why you're the that, best in the uh, business. That's a great question. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, you know, just, just the storyline in itself. I mean, he loses to Travis Whitlake in the, in the best of three series and Whitlake, uh, a bronze medalist a year ago with the Cadet World Championships. And then Whitlake, uh, uh, I think it occurred down at the the junior duels. You know, you were down there in Oklahoma City, where where he uh, he got nicked up in a match, mm. and it, I think an ankle injury, and it just never uh, never got back to one hundred percent. And so they they pulled the plug on that. But uh, uh, Brooks talked about how after losing to to Whitlake in Akron, he he said it was you know one of the worst. He's about as bad as he's ever wrestled. And he went back. And and kind of did a deep evaluation of what he needed to do to uh, get himself to the level he wants to reach, and and you know I think that's why um, you know when when Kevin Jackson called in July and said, hey, you know you're going with us to Athens, that that Aaron Brooks is ready to go, and and uh, Kevin was really impressed by that, just just kind of his reaction to it, like, all right, I'm ready, let's go, and, and also just. Uh, you know, showing up to to that training camp, being in shape and and ready to rock too. I think uh, you know speaks volumes about uh, Aaron's maturity too. So yeah, uh, always gets yeah, a I step right in, or you're exactly right. Yeah, yep, yep. And I so I came away like super impressed with uh, not just what I saw from him on the map, but but also like personality wise. You know, seems to. Uh, have a, a really likable personality, articulate kid, and uh, you know Kevin Jackson spoke to that as well. I think uh, I think there are a lot of bright days ahead for Aaron Brooks on the wrestling mat, and same could be said for for the, those other champs, Will Lawan, yeah, 
uh, you know, hadn't gotten a chance to watch a ton of his matches before either, but, um, you know, just, just a grinder and physical and, and super stingy. And, you know, he told me, told me afterwards he's down to, uh, going to take visits to Michigan and Stanford and North Carolina. I think whoever gets him is going to be pretty pleased with, uh, what they're getting there as well. And, and, uh, you know, Kurt McHenry, uh, incredibly slick, uh, super fast, you know, guy that uh, can score a lot of different ways and, and to become the third uh, American to win two cadet world titles, uh, tremendous uh, testament to his ability. Uh, so, so we're starting to see those pile up now. I mean, you know, heck, what was it? Uh, a couple of years ago, we'd never had a, a two timer. Yeah. And then uh, Yanni uh, Diak Mahalis goes and wins two and Gable Stevenson wins two and, and now McHenry and, and then uh, Kirkfleet, uh, he continues that trend for Minnesota. Now, Minnesota has had the cadet 100 kilogram world champion three years in a row now, which uh, pretty cool to see uh, that one state <laughs> has been able to do that. But, uh, you know, Minnesota is known for their heavyweights. And, and uh, you know, what's going to be interesting to me is can Daniel stay down uh, to 197 pounds? Can you back up Kirkfleet and, uh, and Steveson? in the, in the lineup for the Gophers or uh, is, is he going to outgrow that? And, and then they're going to have to do some juggling somehow to, to figure out what's the best way to utilize having those two together. But uh, you got red shirts, you uh, got gray shirts, you got Olympic red shirts. You know what I mean? Yep. You've got some creativity there, but you're right. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a little difficult for sure. Any other takeaways from men's freestyle, David? It, it um, I was talking to Lee Pritz. I'm sure you saw him out there, and I know he was one of the coaches yep. out there. And you know, he was kind of messaging with me, and just you know, first of all, big shout out to him for being one of the coaches. And then, you know, it just it really felt like there's less depth. Like it was USA and Russia, and then everybody else was sort of a distant third. And um, but he just said how impressive these kids are, and you know, what a pleasure it was to work with those guys. And you know, to to talk to see it from a listen to it from a coach's eye, I think is is cool. So. Um, yep. the future is bright, you know, like what Terry Brand said, yep. it's not going to get any easier. So that's super cool. You know, and I think, uh, I think better days are ahead for the Greco program too. I mean, we talked about Kamal Bay and what he did in Finland and then, you know, Colton Schultz, uh, went in the, you know, Greco gold here. Uh, just, uh, you know, it's probably not happening at the pace that everyone would like in the United States, but, uh, you know, the seeds are there and, and it's starting to, uh, starting to sprout a little bit that, uh, good things are happening within the Greco program, but, uh, you know, they need some more guys like that. I think that are, that are fully committed, uh, like Kamal Bay. Um, I don't know what your, your thoughts are on that, but, uh. I talked to some people, and I'm going to say something that it may sound fairly obvious, but it definitely is worth discussing. I think you know. I think the argument that folk style hurts freestyle is kind of gone now after what we've just saw. You know, with Zane and Gilman, and you know, you know, half the senior team is you know barely out of college. So folk style really doesn't screw you up for freestyle. In fact, in a lot of ways, it will help you. The longer grind, the you know the really hard training, the two-day weigh-ins, all those kind of things. But Greco is a completely different beast. And for people that haven't wrestled Greco, you know, I, I would wrestle a lot of both. And if you don't wrestle Greco for like a week, the first time you 
stand up straight instead of bending over, your feet feel a little heavy. Everything feels a little weird. And the reason why, you know, we have a 16-year-old, hypothetically, or in reality, that wins a world title, and then by the time he's 22, he's losing to the guy he beat six years ago, is because that guy's wrestling Greco over there for six years straight, and our guy isn't. So I don't know what the answer is, but I just think people have to alter their expectations unless Greco is going to, unless you're going to be able to wrestle a lot of Greco in your college and formative years and not have to unlearn folk style and freestyle habits, the senior level performance, I feel like will continue to be what it is. And I'm not sure any coach is going to change that. I think you'd have to be the greatest coach of all time to change that. So I, I yep. just, I don't think what I'm saying is earth shattering, but I do think it's, it's worth at least discussing, you know? So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I, I totally hear you on that. And Matt Lindland has made that point repeatedly over the course of the last six weeks, you know, at, uh, uh, you know, in Paris and in Athens, um, you know, one thing that, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you can, you can see progress being made, but, you know, like, uh, like they go from three wins at the Cadet World Championships a year ago to 11. So they almost quadrupled their, their win total. But that being said, you know, they want to be winning a lot more medals. They want to be in the team hunt. Uh, and, and I think that's what's going to take. It's going to take some, some people that fully commit, uh, to this. It's, it's not just, you know, from 16 to 22, like the illustration you're making, but, but some of these kids, and I don't, I don't know when the specialization occurs in other countries, but I got to believe that it starts uh, even younger than 16 where, um, you know, I think it was Mason Phillips was saying this in, uh, in Athens that he was going on about how, you know, these, these other countries, like the, these guys are wrestling Greco 12 months a year at this age and even younger. And, and these guys are only wrestling at two or three months out of the year. So right. even if we somehow have these great coaches and athletes that can overcome the lack of specialization at this point, you can't just keep doing that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you know, Mike Poeta was on Matt Chat and he brought, he said, you know, he's got a son and, you know, that he thinks most kids shouldn't start till they're like maybe 10, I think was the year he used. But he goes, the problem is if you wait till 10, you're so far behind the guys that started at six and seven that you really have to talk to kids about, look, you're going to get your butt kicked for a while and don't worry about it. And that's a hard thing to sell to a 10 year old. You know, 10 year olds just want to do what's fun and getting, it's not like losing in chess, you know, in chess, you don't get your face smashed into something. So, I mean, it's a multi-level, multi-layered problem. I think the other thing is this, at the senior level, defense is so good in Greco, it's like soccer in America. People don't want to watch it because it's a lot of 1-0, 1-1, 2-1 matches and the two ones were just... All three of them were passivity points. You know, it's so hard to score at that level. So, I mean, Greco overall has a scoring problem. It's not just how do we make American Greco better. It's yeah, yep. it, it's not fan friendly right now. And cool, you know, really good Greco is super cool to watch. But you know, like watching a soccer game for 120 minutes and then it goes to shootouts is kind of what I feel like you're running into it a lot of the Greco and you, you right. saw a lot of those guys, like besides Stabler, who I know I saw you had a cool photo with him. 
but a lot of those guys scored maybe one or two takedowns the whole tournament, and they won the tournament. Yeah, yep, yep. Certainly, uh, Cadet Greco, there was a lot more action than there was Because the defense isn't Greco. as good. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Yep, yeah. positioning that. Yep, yep, That's absolutely. Like Severano and Baird are Doman guys. You know, and getting, I mean, they got thrown some too. You know what I mean? But I think most fans would rather watch 9-8 than 2-1. to one. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, we can uh, switch gears here to college stuff. We got a lot of catching up to do on college stuff, David. Yes, sir. Lots of stuff has happened since the last time we've recorded. Nick Suriano to Rutgers, Joey McKenna to Ohio State, Pat Downey to Iowa. Frank Beasley leaves NC State for George Mason. A.J. Shop uh, leaves South Dakota State for Purdue. Uh, Oklahoma State's going to go to Italy to wrestle North Carolina State. A lot of interesting stuff. Where do you want to begin? Any of those you want. And then, obviously, we will talk about Isaac Jordan going to Oklahoma State as well. So, whatever you want to start. Let's talk Suriano. That's the one. Suriano and McKenna are the ones that are going to have the biggest impact on the season going forward, in my opinion. I mean, obviously, that's going to really reshape the team race, right? I mean, we'd leave St. Louis uh, in March, and, and everybody's talking about 170 points. And can, can Penn State get to that mark? You know, with five champs coming back, plus Suriano, what are they going to be able to accomplish? And, and the conversation, tone of the conversation then is, you know, the other the other sidebar to that is is Ohio State going to become the best second place team yeah. in NCAA history? Yeah. I, I'd heard that talked about. I think that was a realistic now, thing to think about. I think it still yeah. is. Yeah, and so now is Ohio State the front runner on paper? What, in your opinion, what do you what do you think right now? Who's the team to beat? Well, I was nerding out here, breaking down numbers. I think it really comes down to if you just look at team scores that are coming back and you don't include bonus, Penn State's still the favorite. And they still have these weight classes where right now they don't have any points that you can rank, 25, 33, 41. And, you know, they're going to have a Corey Keener and a Nick Lee and, you know, it's, uh, maybe a Jared Cortez, you know, those kind of guys there. And it was kind of like last year where – you know, we I think we agreed that when we had them ranked sixth or whatever it was in the preseason, everybody who does rankings with any brain in their head goes, they're not going to end up sixth. But we just had a bunch of guys that hadn't won any college matches yet. Yep. So, you know, you can't just rank somebody because they're at a school that's been good. I mean, that's not some of the guys that have wrestled and done things. Um, yep. you, you know... Suriano makes Rutgers, obviously, a lot, lot better, and they have a really good dual-meet team. Um, I think Ohio State, it would be sort of, I mean, in the dual-meet, I think they have a really good chance against Penn State. It feels like they'd be favored at the first three weights and at the last two weights. And Penn State would be favored at the five in between, but two of the weights they're favored at, they have weights to Penn State earlier, you know, with more calls having split with Bo Jordan, and Ben Nickel, I think he's won, what, four out of six against Miles Martin, but he has lost to him twice. So it feels like Zane and Nolf and uh, Vincenzo are pretty significant favorites. 
And it feels like on the Ohio State side that Tomasello, Colin Moore, and Kyle Snyder are significant favorites, and that they'd be favored at 41 with McKenna or Keyshawn, and they'd be favored um, at 33 with Pletcher. So tournament-wise, they need Joey McKenna to place. They need Micah Jordan to be top four. They need Pletcher to place top six. You know, but he's down a weight, and he's probably he's a natural 33. He was kind of wrestling 41 to help the team. I mean, they're, they're going to have four, five guys ranked first or second in the preseason. Tomasello will be one, will be two. Jordan would be two. Or Bo Jordan would be two. Miles um, Martin would be two. Colin Moore would be one. Snyder would be one. Micah Jordan's going to be in the top five. Pletcher's going to be, you know, like somewhere around eight or nine. McKenna's going to be around eight or nine. And the two guys they don't have ranked real high are Tishon Campbell, who was round of 16, and Keyshawn Hayes, who was, you know, four-time state champ and a really good recruit. So, yeah, they're going to they're gonna have a legit chance at, you know, making the podium at all 10 weights. It's going to come to the bonus. We've been saying that forever since Penn State kind of took over, right? You know? Eight. Yeah. 49-57 reminds you of the Taylor Ruth thing where they had, they scored so many bonus, it was like having another finalist. Yep, yep. And it doesn't feel like there's but, anybody uh, at those weights that are going to stop those guys from bonusing at least the first two or, th- you know, three, maybe four right. rounds. Right, right, yep. You know, Ohio State's going to have some of that too. You know, you look at Colin Moore and Kyle Snyder, Tomasello. They don't you know, pin, guys, guys some- they, they do pin a lot. Right. And, right. And these yeah, points even make a difference, right? And, you know, it becomes yeah. a full point if you only beat a guy by 14. Like, if you slip and, like, lose a goofy takedown, you know, Penn State pins dudes, and they pin yep. a lot of guys. Yep. Yeah. So. Yep. One, one pin on the front side equals, what, six consolation wins? <laughs> yeah. So. Six halves or, you know, three up front. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and, so. and the Siliano story, we've got uh, an exclusive interview with Coach Bell from Bergen Catholic, which we're recording this on Wednesday, and that's probably going to go up on track wrestling on Friday. Is that what we think, Andy? Yeah, it'll come up later this week. Yeah. So he talks a little bit about what happened there and has some insights to how the process, the appeal process works and what both sides were saying. And, you know, he's kind of a legendary coach out there at Bergen. So, uh, super cool guy to talk to. Really high integrity guy. It was it was a pleasure to to interview him, and and uh, you know I felt like at the end of it we were friends. So that was really cool. Well, Pat Downey to Iowa. That's we talked, we talked about it in the uh, spring that uh, you know there's always going to be an opportunity for a guy with that kind of ability and. You know, he's he's in Iowa City now. He told us, uh, I think it was before I left for, I, I don't know, all the trips are blending together at this point, but I think <laughs> it was right uh, after I got back from Finland or maybe right around there that he was going to, uh, he's getting ready to leave for Iowa City. He's been in Iowa City for a couple of weeks now. Uh, certainly going to be a big addition for the Hawkeyes. If uh, he graduates from Iowa State at semester, he'll be eligible second semester. And, uh, Probably in the lineup of 184 pounds. And instant title threat, right? I mean... Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's fair. Anybody that uh, anybody that can go toe-to-toe with Gabe Dean and win, 
Um, you know, even even if it's freestyle, I think uh, you know that he he's going to be in the mix. You get him in the get him in the Iowa room, and uh, you know if if he can put uh, you know several months of sustained training together, good hard training together, stay healthy. I think you you got to put him in on the short list of of title contenders at eighty four. Right. Yeah, and um, I got confirmation that it looks like the Valencia brothers going to stay at sixty five and seventy four. So, um, you know, it doesn't look like Zahid would wrestle uh, Nickel. You know, he'll be in the mix with with Mark Hall and Jordan. So eighty four is not quite as deep with him being gone. Um, you know, but you got Nickel, you got Miles Martin, Pete Renda, Evan uh, Adder, Foster Parker, Zavatsky, those kind of guys. But it feels like, I mean, if I had to rate or rank, excuse me, uh, Downey right now, I think he probably would be ranked fourth. I mean, he won't, you know, we won't rank him until January, and that will really deeply uh, skew the team scores, you know, where they will be a lot lower than they will you know, the day he becomes eligible, but, um, yep. you know, cause they're going to get another 12, 13 points added to their, their team ranking immediately. So it's an interesting yep. thing, right? That he's kind of, I think a free spirit would be a kind word. And, uh, you know, he's going to a place like Iowa. It, it's either going to work out fabulously or work out disastrously. Right. You know, like it doesn't feel like there's a lot of middle ground there. Right, right. I, I, I don't think you're looking at a guy that, uh, you know, both sides kind of walk away from saying, well, that was kind of okay. You know, I think, I think both sides are either going to be really happy or, or, you know, it's, it's not going to work out. But, uh, you know, early reports that, that I've heard all has been positive thus far. And, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, Pat, what is he, 25 and, and, uh, you know, down to his last opportunity here. I mean, this is the last go around for him, and and sometimes, uh, you know, the 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 light really comes on, and and you get to that point where where you run out of chances. You haven't accomplished the goals that you want to accomplish. You start to take a, a deeper look inward at what you haven't done, and and uh, you know, it's to me going to be one of the fascinating storylines of this upcoming season. What what will Iowa get out of Pat Downey, and what will Pat Downey get out of Iowa? Completely agree. I think, and fascinating, I think is the right word, right? Like how that's going to all play out. And, uh, it's, you know, you're like, you're helping me set up a Twitter account. And I guess Downey is probably one of the first guys I should follow just for sheer entertainment purposes from what I heard. So, um, yep. Yep. PD Hawk will give you some, he will give you some, uh, entertainment on Twitter for, you know, the upcoming weeks. As long as, as long as his Twitter account stays active, and, and uh, I presume it will, we'll see. But uh, he's certainly a must-follow. It wouldn't shock me if they did kind of maybe cut that off come January just to keep him we'll out see. of trouble for his own good, yeah. We'll see. Uh, Frank Beasley to George Mason. David, your thoughts on that, on the North Carolina State assistant making the jump, becoming a head coach? He called me. You know, we're friends for a long time. He wrestled in Lincoln, and he actually called me, sent me his new phone number. We talked. Frank works really hard. Um, you know, wasn't a superstar wrestler, uh, but really works his tail off. And great recruiter. You know, really flips over a lot of rocks. Uh, George Mason is a really good academic school. Um, you know, he was kind of telling me some of the challenges that are there, but super optimistic about things. 
to to know Beasley is to love him. So, you know, I wish him all the best. And uh, I think he left North Carolina State better than he found it. Uh, I know Gwiz was 100% uh, Papalizio's recruit to Binghamton and brought him with them, but the number one recruiting class that they had a couple years ago has got Bees' uh, fingerprints, to use your phrase from a couple weeks ago, all over it. So, I mean, I think it's like anything else. You start at the bottom, and you kind of just got to start accruing talent over there and coaching them up. And um, he said he's going through a staff evaluation right now, so um, I'm sure we'll hear more news out of there probably in the next 30 to 60 days was kind of the impression I got when I spoke to him. The other big uh, news on the coaching front, um, A.J. Shop to Purdue, and we talked uh, you know, throughout the season about the influence that, that you could see that he was having at South Dakota State on you know, a guy like Seth Gross, for instance, and some of the other guys, just, just some of the things that they were doing top position-wise. You know, we saw Seth Gross really become a point-scoring machine here in the last year or so. Just uh, what he was doing on top with the tilt series that uh, he'd learned from A.J., uh, pretty good gift for Purdue from that standpoint. A guy that uh, can can implement a certain skill set and and uh, you know potentially uh, take Purdue help Purdue jump levels. What are your thoughts on on that move? It's interesting because Purdue Kendrick Maple went to Nebraska from Purdue and Shop goes to Purdue from SDSU. From a Purdue standpoint, you know they get a guy that's more or less the same size but really sort of completely different strengths. You know, Maple's unbelievable on his feet. Not that he wasn't a good Matt wrestler or that Shop wasn't good on his feet, but their strengths are in the opposite areas. You know, four-point near falls, it's, if you can turn, it's such a difference maker now. So what struck me was the chemistry that A.J. Shop had with Chris Bono and with John Reeder and how much those guys all really got along with each other. I'm, I'm sure he left on, on the best of terms. Um, but again, I think that's a place where the guy left it better than he found it. You know, and obviously that was a team effort over there, but SDSU's on the rise, had their first All-Americans, first finalists. You know, they're going to have a preseason number one guy. Uh, you know, and I do think, you know, Purdue very quietly has recruited really well. They have a lot of young talent in that room. And if those guys start turning like AJ Shop, you're gonna, they're going to start beating guys that on paper right now they're not supposed to beat. So it should be really interesting. Yeah, that's a good point about the way Purdue is recruited. And and one of the things here in the last uh, maybe maybe his last fall, uh, in the last couple of years, it, it, it seems like they've kind of all of a sudden just come out of nowhere in terms of recruiting, and they're not landing like a ton of top guys. But but you're hearing Purdue mentioned. And and second place doesn't really get you anywhere in recruiting, but uh, but the one place it does get you is is the more lines that you have in the water, you know. Yeah, you know, the more times that you're second, you're bound to to get somebody to buy in at some point to, to believe in you enough to put their name on the dotted line, and and we're seeing that uh, seeing that happen a little bit. And I think uh, you know if if some of the results uh, become what we what we think they will. You know, it's going to be a lot easier for them to win those battles rather than finish second recruiting. So it's going to be something to watch here in the next couple of years to see what, what transpires at Purdue. Uh, you mentioned Isaac Jordan to Oklahoma State. And uh, to me, that's pretty interesting because, you know, you see it happen a lot at, at Iowa and Oklahoma State and Minnesota. They, they establish programs where 
you know, they've got all these in-house options, right? And, and uh, seems like they, there's a lot of hiring from within that transpires. And, and that, that was one that kind of surprised me that, that you, you think of Isaac Jordan and landing places. Um, Oklahoma State really wouldn't seem like a natural fit. How about, <laughs> yeah. what was your reaction? Um, well, real quick, just to kind of close the loop on the Purdue thing, they, they're recruiting, like you said, not super, you know, high names, but they're getting guys like Max Lyon from Iowa. I mean, they've, they've gone in and gotten some good things. And your point is really well taken about if you're second often enough, you're going to end up being first. And, you know, I recruited a lot, and being second is the most frustrating position. But you, if you're second on the ones you, you know, you wanted, sometimes you get guys that you didn't even think you were going to get. So, um, Jordan, I mean, I had some pretty good relationships at Oklahoma State. I kind of said, you know, they were going to obviously add somebody. I knew they were going to promote Chris and promote Tom, and I'm, those guys are awesome. I'm really happy for them. But it was very surprising to me that they would kind of go outside the Oklahoma State family to kind of reiterate what you said, because there's, you know, so many Oklahoma State disciples, for lack of a better phrase, like running around the country that, um, you know, I think, Isaac Jordan may help them with recruiting in Ohio. I think that's maybe a side benefit. Uh, and, you know, he was a guy whose state was very different from Oklahoma State's. You know, tough on the mat, not quite as offensive as a lot of John Smith teams. Um, you know, and those coaches are kind of now, you know, they all wrestled relatively in the same four or five weights. Like, you know, Esposito was a 49 up to Chris at 74. So, you know, you got a lot of guys there that can, you know, I know John doesn't believe you have to be a big guy to coach big guys or little guy to coach little guys. So they've got a lot of guys that can sort of, you know, demonstrate high level stuff on each other. Um, everything I've heard about Isaac Jordan is he's a real student of the sport. So, I mean, in that sense, he fits right in with Oklahoma state because those guys are absolute. And I mean, this is the biggest compliment, absolute nerds when it comes to getting your technique perfect. So I think that part's really cool. Well, a good segue while we're on Oklahoma State is to, to talk about the uh, dual meet announcement that came out yesterday. And Oklahoma State's going to go to Naples, Italy to wrestle North Carolina State on January 5th. David, I, I don't know what your thoughts were when, when you saw that or if you'd heard any rumblings about it, but uh, that was one that, that uh, kind of floored me a little bit. I mean, you, you just um, certainly there, there's never been a. Uh, NCAA dual meet held outside North America. This is going to be interesting. Um, I'm intrigued to see where they put it and what the what the attendance is like, and when it's all said and done. Is it is it something that um, you know more teams are going to do in the future? Will we see a a dual tournament or quadrangular or something along those lines uh, overseas? I don't know, but I, I'm I'm certainly intrigued to see what what the response is to this. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's kind of like the the wrestling on, you know, on Hawkeye, you know, Carver Hawkeye, I'm sorry, in the football stadium in Iowa. The stadium, yep. Yeah, and the Rutgers outside thing. Like, these guys are innovating and they're trying. And, you know, I remember Armar Torrey telling me on Match Yet that he and John Smith are both in the Italian Hall of Fame. And Pat Popolizio, you know, obviously he's Italian. And Frank Popolizio is a guy that with journeyman and a lot of his stuff is – been very innovative, and I would think that those two guys, along with Coach Smith, have their fingers all over this. I, I think it's cool, right? Like they're just trying something new, 
if you're on those teams, how awesome is that? I guess you got if you don't have a passport, that's something you probably need to work on fairly quickly. But you know, and you might actually see a guy in a wrestle if he doesn't get his passport in time. But besides that, I think it's another cool thing to be able to say to kids when you're recruiting, right? You know, like when we go to Italy, you know, kind of like those beach tools that you were talking about, you know? Yep. Kids, trying, you're trying to make something more fun because it is such a grind. So, um, NC State beat Oklahoma State for the first time a couple years ago. So, you know, that was when that, with that team, when Tommy Gant was a senior and, um, you know, Mark was on the team and all that. So that's, uh, you know, there's some recent history there that's that's interesting. So, again, you know, and obviously Pat and OB were Oklahoma State guys. So, you know, a lot of, lot of storylines there. Anything else this week, David? Uh, well, the Dave Bell interview I think I told you about is coming out. Um, I also got to interview in one joint interview Rich Bender, Cody Bickley, and Bill Zadick. So that'll come out, I guess, like in a week and a half. Um, which is was really really fun. Those guys were very generous with their times. You know, Rich might be the best storyteller in the business. Uh, you know, they were all really well prepared. And then the other thing for me is Alex Deringer is actually coming here to St. Louis to do a camp uh, for my friend Marcus Hain from Thoroughbred Wrestling Academy. He's doing it at my old high school, Kirkwood High School, on uh, Friday and Saturday, September fifteenth and sixteenth, and. Um, I think the entry fee is like $80. Alex is actually coming in and staying with me. Um, it's like 5 to 7 o'clock on Friday night and 9 to 4 on set on Saturday. Um, and if you want more information, you can just go to TWAMissouri.com or you can call Marcus at 270-997-1622. Um, I've had a chance to play with Alex with some technique, and he's really, really good. So, the St. Louis people that can pop their head in, it'll definitely be worth it. I want to give a couple club plugs real quick. Um, U23 championships are uh, going to be next month up in Rochester, Minnesota. Those are going to be on track wrestling. You can watch the live stream on track wrestling of those. Also, the world championships now, all the content from every match from the senior world championships in Paris is free now so you go to trackwrestling.com and search that event plug in the passcode titan mercury at 924 titan mercury at symbol 924 will get you access to all those matches so uh, be sure to check that stuff out lots of good stuff from paris not just on the american front but uh, some tremendous action uh from you know, matches up and down the lineup. Be sure to check out the heavyweight final in men's freestyle, yeah. as well as, you know, Frank Chimizo and the show that he put on in the finals against James Green. Just some of uh, some athletic wizardry. Uh, just just a tremendous tournament to watch. And, and I would encourage you, if you have the time, just dive into that and, and uh, surf around, check out all the matches on there. So, That'll do it for this week's edition, episode number 50 of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton, David Mercatani. Thank you very much for your time, David, as always. Thank you. 50 episodes, man. It's been fun. And we'll be back next week. This show 
is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.